Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host. Um, today's show, pre-Christmas show, is going to be a little different because um, I have Eric Fawcett from Gator Country and we recorded Friday before Florida had played and beat Florida Gulf Coast in the Orange Bowl Classic. So we're going to talk a little bit about like the Florida Gulf Coast game in the segment. Um, but, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time on the Eagles. Mostly we spent time on... Florida's offense, which I think we've, you know, like Coach White, we've tried to think of solutions and analyze what Florida can do. Uh, Today we're going to talk about tempo a little bit and um, just talk about how Florida needs guys to attack the basket and maybe get to the foul line more. Uh, And then we'll preview the Butler game, which is one of the biggest regular season games a Florida basketball team has had in quite a while. Um, Florida will play them 4 p.m. December 29th. Hopefully uh, right after the Gators win the Peach Bowl against Michigan up in Atlanta. So, Merry Christmas. Um, We hope you enjoy this show. I'm going to add a segment at the end with some thoughts on the Florida Gulf Coast win. um, Because I think that there are a couple things to kind of glean from that game. But uh, first, it's uh, me and Eric. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. And we are going to talk about... Uh, Florida Mercer, and I guess look ahead to the Florida Gulf Coast game and then the Butler rematch, which I think if you guys, I mean, people have been listening now for for a while, so they know that Eric and I aren't real big on making hyperbolic claims. Uh, It's a huge game for Florida, though. They really need to win against Butler. Um, So let's, let's start with just sort of Mercer, which I thought was a really ragged performance on both sides of the ball. Yeah, ragged performance. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty good way to put it. Um, I have a lot of respect, honestly, for the way that Mercer played. I thought you could just tell that, uh, that Bob Hoffman, their coach, and some of those players are just used to playing against high major opponents and used to playing the underdog role um, because of the way that they like threw so many junk defenses at you and throw, uh, change defenses so often and were really content to slow down the game and just put the ball in the hands of their of their best shot makers right at the end of the clock and obviously Ross Cummings hit some hit some massive shots but um uh it's it's just funny you know before you and me are talking about how we coach our high school basketball teams um you know I've got a school of 300 kids going up against the schools of 2500 and I look at teams like Mercer and say like how do these you know how do how do these teams like this always hang with um, more talented teams and um it's something I kind of study and I, I see the way that Bob Hoffman played uh uh, played against Florida here, and I, I thought it was a pretty brilliant performance by, uh, um, you know, by the underdog. I thought that that's that's kind of the style Mercer wanted to play, and they dictated it more than Florida did, which is a little bit concerning for the Gators. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like Ross Cummings hit some um, ridiculous shots. Um, the changing defenses um, floor, uh, forced Andrew Nemhart into some fairly uncharacteristic turnovers, and. Um, uh, speaking of Andrew Nemhart, one of the one things I did find a little bit concerning was that uh, it seemed like Marcus Cohen could just get anything he wanted against him. Um, I thought he beat uh, beat Andrew Nemhart off the dribble a ton. And um, to be honest, I wasn't familiar with Marcus Cohen. So I kind of thought he would be like, uh, you know, one of these senior guys who's been through battles. And it's like he's a he's a sophomore. So uh, to see him, uh, obviously, Andrew Nemhart's a freshman, but, you know, we're are dealing with a little bit different caliber. So I thought that was a little bit concerning. I thought that was where a lot of the defensive breakdowns for Florida did happen were just Marcus Cohen being able to beat Andrew Nemhart off the dribble. Um, but, yeah, uh, not not a plus performance, I would say, from the Gators. Not not a game I, uh, I walk away with a very good taste in my mouth. Uh, what's What do you have to say? Yeah, I mean, so I thought a couple things. Um, Bob Hoffman has almost 500 wins. Uh in fact, he might have 500 wins. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of people really respect him. And people remember that Mercer beat Duke uh, for a few years ago in the NCAA tournament. Um, but, you know, they've won they've won uh, a CBI, I think, um, and have, have advanced in the NIT a couple times. So it's a good program. Uh, I was a little concerned with, with Nimhart's play as well, and I, I kind of wanted to get into that with you because I thought one thing that Mercer does when they play with the four guards or even when they played three guards, a forward and a big, um, is, you know, they really get out in the path 
lanes and kind of aggravate your first passing option. And that's something that Hassani Gravit, who Florida will see in a couple of weeks, is really good at doing. Um, something that's kind of a, a vintage thing for a Frank Martin team. Um, you know, so I think Mississippi State certainly does it a little differently because they hedge a lot. It's a bit Allen team. But, you know, I think it, it'll be kind of interesting to see how Nimhart adjusts from that. And I almost felt like, hey, this game against a coach with a really good plan um, could end up being a really good thing depending on how Florida responds to it. What concerns me was, you know, you see this interview with Coach White after the game, and it was kind of a – I don't want to say he was deflated, but I think he was discouraged because they had had 10 days of practice. Apparently they had had 10 pretty good days of practice, and then they came out and an opponent threw some wrinkles at them. And, you know, Florida, quite frankly, did not respond particularly well beyond a couple of guys. I thought – if I was going to pick out something to be encouraged about, and I want to get back to the Nimhard point, but, you know, I certainly continue to be encouraged by the play of Kayvon Allen. And I thought Tavarius Hayes, while leaving a lot of points on the floor, was, was marvelous in a game where Florida had to have him be marvelous because, you know, Florida's shooting percentages would be one thing if they were rebounding well, but they're not. Yeah, to know that having a guy who could uh, offensive rebound a little better uh, consistently would definitely be good. Um, just also quickly, um, Bob Hoffman, he's he is uh, he's only got 198 wins because he had, but he spent like 10 years coaching in the NAIA and also spent a couple years in um, what looks to be probably the D League at the time. So you know, definitely has coached okay. a lot. <laughs> or so yeah, he's, so he does have 508 coach head coaching uh, wins between leagues. But anyways. Um, yeah, uh, the way that, you, like you mentioned, just of how, how deflated Coach White looks. Like, uh, you know, obviously Florida didn't lose, but I'm not sure there was a worse outcome that really could have happened in a win, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, obviously Florida's offense didn't look great. The way that they kind of executed in the final minutes when they uh, when they turned over the ball just on the inbound and gave up a pick six and um, just uh, – committed some bad fouls that were just confusing. Um, again, the way that um, Andrew Nemhard, who's actually been fairly steady defensively, had a really poor defensive showing and had some uncharacteristic turnover. There, there just wasn't a, a lot to go on other than, yeah, it was good to see uh, Kayvon Allen hit some shots off the dribble. And uh, it was great to see Noah Locke hit, hit a ton of shots. Um, but yeah, it's, it's got to be pretty deflating after, after that many weeks of practice. But at the same time, I do look to the, to just how hard Mercer would be to scout for with all their changing defenses and uh, even the, the points Florida gave up, like I said, there was some, some really good defensive possessions that just ended in a Ross coming step back three. And I, I will take that. You know, that's something we've talked about on this podcast a ton, just about um, n- not even looking at, uh, at the, if the shot went in or not, just looking at the quality of shots. And again, that was, uh, those are shots we'll live with. So um, I can definitely see why he's, uh, he's kind of deflated, but also at the same time, if, if there was a, you know, you take, two or three of those ridiculous threes off the board and, um, and, and they probably don't have uh, you know, the game probably doesn't feel as close in the clutch. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's actually a pretty good point in the sense that, you know, Florida was ahead 62 to 46 with five Oh eight to go. So um, now they didn't, they had one field goal after that point, You know, and and that's that's kind of one of these things. But I wanted to run some numbers by you because, but first, I you know, I mean, what do you what do you do with a young point guard when teams are that aggressive in the passing lanes? Because it's kind of hard to think of solutions on a team that doesn't have a ton of guys that are good at cutting and kind of disrupting that. Oh yeah, especially when when Mercer was going some of that like three two or um, extending some of those zone zone defenses out and. Uh, you could tell that it just kind of it felt like it was taking the first ten or fifteen seconds of the shot clock just to recognize what defense Mercer was in and then kind of get guys to spots and um, I, you know that that can't be all on Nemhart of course uh, I think that some of the other guys needed to kind of figure out what was going on and um, that's yeah. kind of an offensive problem that you and me have talked about a whole lot um, that I think that at least I think this is like the biggest problem with Florida's offense. Um, I, is just that the, that Florida has so few guys that are really great at creating off the dribble. Um, they have a lot of catch and shoot guys, but um, when you've got a lot of guys that want to get their feet set and generate offense by catching the ball, um, that 
it's pretty tough to play against the zone because yeah, you need movement. You need guys to, to get in the teeth of the zone. You need someone who can force two defenders to take them. So uh, when it was uh, a bunch of guys standing in spots and then, you know, your primary defender on Nemhart with two guys in his passing lanes, um, that, that is tough for him. And, and some of his turnovers were him, you know, throwing looping passes, hoping that he could lead one of his uh, players to cut through. And there was a miscommunication and the ball just bounced out of bounds. And, um, those turnovers suck because it's like not even like a, oh if you made that pass we have a layup or something, uh, right. but at the same time it's uh, it's not all on Nemhard as much as I think that that was probably really frustrating for him. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I think that's that's true, and I and I it's it's become, um, you know, it, we don't know how long Dre Bauer will be out. Who's really one of two guys on the team that we know for a fact can attack the play. Uh, he actually he actually got cleared this morning. By the way, okay. just some, uh, not sure when this podcast is going up, but on Friday morning, Mike White said he's good to go. So we'll hope uh, we'll hope he's really good to go. Unlike Chase Johnson, who was cleared and then was unfortunately ill. So, but sorry, you can go on. No, there's always something wrong with Chase Johnson, which is, I mean, it's just it's astonishing and it's it's sad. Um, you know, Mike White's first consensus top 100 recruit. Uh, he's played 30 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and he's a guy that, that Florida could use because I think the Gators are 300th in free throw percentage, um, which speaks to the point that you're making about how you got a lot of catch and shoot guys and they're not necessarily attacking defenses, getting in the foul line. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that Dre Ballard is learning to do. And, and I think he wants to do that. I think that's an innate part of his game. Uh I liked that Jalen Hudson drove and, and took two pointers in traffic three times. You know, I wish that <laughs> that he had made one of them. Um, but, you know, I think that was that sort of aggressiveness and effort was there against Mercer. Let's see if he can maybe uh, build on that. But I also think, as we've talked about on this show, kind of waiting on Jalen Hudson to come around is not necessarily what the solution is going to be for Florida. I think in a perfect world, um, you know, Florida's uh, winning by 15 points at halftime and you really can allow uh, Jalen Hudson to, to play through some mistakes a little bit more. But the problem was because the fact that the Mercer game was even close was there was a couple times where, uh, where uh, Hudson got pulled for a defensive mistake. And I know there were some people on the Gator Country boards and on Twitter that were kind of talking about like, hey, well, why don't you like let him play through mistakes and whatever. But it was like it was a one possession game at the time. And that's what kind of just really sucked is that if the game was going better for the Gators, uh, Jalen Hudson could miss a guy in transition and give up a three and have the chance to play through that. But instead he, he got the pull just like he normally did. But um, to say, you know, Mike White said he had a great, you know, 10 days of practice and that's why he started. Uh, that's I'm glad to hear he had good practices if nothing else. Uh, like you said, I thought he, uh, you know, he got some shots at the rim that you know, spilled out, but I thought were good attempts. And uh, I think that's a good starting point for him. Um, it, it was unfortunate that a lot of his jump shots still looked just so crooked. Like he missed one so wide, right. And he missed one short and he missed one long and um, just not good misses. So uh, I don't know if his, if his jump shots anywhere close to, um, to where it's uh, where it was last season or where it needs to be. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still just not really sure what you do with him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough deal. Um, they, they've also talked a little bit about, you know, a lot of people have talked about tempo. I thought Eric wrote a really good piece at, at GatorCountry.com about whether playing faster was the answer. And Hudson's attempt to sort of drive and get baskets at the rim um, are an interesting kind of point to that. It's like if Florida's in half-court sets, then, like, they need to attack the basket and move the ball a little better uh, to, to assure that, that their shot selection issues go away. Because as, as your article illustrated – you know, Florida settling for two-point jump shots that aren't at the rim uh, a little too much this year so far. Yeah, that was kind of one of the biggest things um, that I found looking at the numbers, um, particularly uh, a new site I started to subscribe to called Hoop Math. Um, so shout out to them. Um, that just has, uh, yeah, that had all this. That's where I got all the data about just like the shots and percentages um, at what points in the shot clock. 
And it was really interesting to see how many, how many two point jumpers Florida took in the middle of the shot clock. If you were to just look at, you know, early offense or transition in the first 10 seconds, um, late offense in the last 10 seconds. And then, you know, that middle area of the clock where most of your shots come, um, Florida was taking a lot of two point jumpers and a lot of them that weren't assisted, um, and that, that accounts for even uh, on a just attempt, not necessarily a make. Um, they're just taking a lot of two-point jump shots that weren't even off a pass in the middle of the clock. And I think that if there was – like sometimes you've got to take two-point jump shots. At the end of a clock, it might be the best look you can get. But um, that's, just, uh, that's just not the best look you're going to get in the middle of the clock. I'd, uh, at least that's my personal opinion. I'd, I'd yeah. rather see them – I'd rather see them take uh, tough threes than tough twos if it's going to be in the middle of the clock. If it's – you know, if it gets to – six or seven seconds on the clock and, and Kayvon Allen needs to beat a guy and pull up from 17 feet. It, it kind of is what it is, but um, yeah, it just kind of showed that um, uh, and shot, shot selection is something you and I have talked about. We don't think it's been great all year and the numbers really back that up. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, um, the, 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 I think one of the bigger answers is, is kind of obvious, but it's, they've got to use their elite defense to create offense more. Um, and, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. And this is where kind of our coaching background steps in is, is guys have to be looking to, to get out and go when, when they get turnovers. And I don't know if Florida does that as consistently as I'd like. I think certainly in the Mercer game, there were a couple times where Florida, some of this was Mercer doing a great job getting back in transition. And other times it was like Florida making a conscious decision to pull up and run half court sets. When I'm not necessarily sure that's what they want to do. I mean, your article kind of highlighted that, you know, Florida's transition numbers are a little bit better than their half court numbers, at least to some extent, field goal percentage wise. Uh, everybody on the team, uh, if you look at, cause I, I'm a hoop math subscriber as well. So everyone on the team, except for Dre Ballard has a higher percentage shooting in transition. Um, but there's a lot of ways to kind of then subsequently break that down. Whether those are layups or, you know, so, um, I don't think the answer is Florida taking a bunch of transition threes, but uh, you know I think Florida does need to pick its spots so that it can it can get out and move a little faster. I mean, is that kind of the conclusion you came to? Yeah, I think if I were to just uh, kind of boil it down to a sentence to, to one sentence, it was kind of like looking at the numbers. Um, an average shot in transition is of more value to the team than an average shot in the half court. Cause like you said, just because I think, you know, they have better numbers in transition. I don't think they need to run up and take the first shot they can just cause um, just cause the numbers point to them being in better tr- in transition. But yeah, if you just, uh, it, it just, you know, they were, they were, you know, a few, uh, I don't have the number in front of me, but yeah, their points per possession were better on uh, in transition than in their half court totally. And uh, just therefore, it would be better off for them to take a half decent look in transition than, than a half decent look in, in the half court. And I wonder if part of it is um, something, yeah, that just, we've kind of talked about is it seems like Florida has went in the half court when they have gotten offense, that it's been a little more out of the, the slow down set plays as opposed to their motion offense. And I wonder if that's something they are kind of focusing on. And therefore when they get the basketball, they're, they're not as much thinking push. They're thinking about um, how their identity might be to slow it down a little more in the half court. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, the move might be to, to obviously, if you get a steal, go, go hard, look for that initial offense. If it's not there, then you can kind of pull it back, get to spots and run a set. Um, but just, uh, uh, yeah, you obviously you still need to take those easy buckets when you can. Um, just seeing that, uh, let's take a look at, a, let's take a look at Ken Palm. What are we at here? Defense. So yeah, Florida is 17th in defensive turnover percentage, obviously. So they're great at turning the, turning other teams over and they're, they're seventh in steal percentage. So um, they get steals on 12.9% of defensive possessions. And, you know, that should be, you know, maybe not every single one of those should be a, should be a fast break opportunity, but it's, it's close to saying like, Hey, on, on one out of 10 possessions, Florida should have a steal that gives them numbers and uh, should be a layup or an open three. Yeah, no, I mean, um, so another, another suggestion from, from a listener was uh, asked, why Isaiah Stokes isn't playing more minutes, um, <laughs> which, you know, people, I'm not laughing at the question. I'm just saying that, like, I think some, sometimes people see a guy make a little hook shot and you can get kind of captivated by that one moment. And then 
not really look at, at other things. Um, you know, I mean, first of all, uh, Kavari says one of the best defenders in college basketball. Second of all, he's in the top 30 nationally in offensive rebound percentage. Uh, that's actually gone up since the Michigan State game, which is fairly impressive. Um, and third of all, you know, affects field goal percentage. Kavaris Hayes is 66%. Uh, Isaiah Stokes is 47%. Um, shot percentage at the rim. Kavaris Hayes, 82%. Isaiah Stokes, 29.4%. <laughs> field goal percentage at the rim. Kavaris Hayes, 70%. Isaiah Stokes, 60%. So the numbers kind of bear out that Kavaris Hayes is a better offensive player right now than Isaiah Stokes, even though it's obvious that a player like Stokes has an immense skill set on that side of the court. Yeah, I, I think kind of like you said, I think Isaiah Stokes not playing more is almost just more because uh, Kamari Hayes has been so good versus especially defensively, obviously. Um, and Kamari Hayes' defense is keeping him on the floor as opposed to Isaiah Stokes. If you sub him in, he's going to hurt you on defense right now. Um, I, I really thought that Florida was going to end up playing more zone this year defensively, and that still definitely could happen in the conference season. But um, if they played some zones where Isaiah Stokes could be covered up a little bit more and, and his lateral quickness wouldn't be exploited as much, I think he could warrant more minutes. Um, there's also even a moment, and, and not to put so much stock on, on one shot, but there was one time where kind of Isaiah, Isaiah Stokes had that like semi-trail open three right from the top. And, um, and and he didn't hit it, but um, you know if that if that shot went in, I, I it, it would have kind of meant a lot in the in terms of like, I, and I know from you know watching him in high school, like Isaiah Stokes can hit the three ball, and if he was to to start knocking those down at let's say you know thirty four percent even, uh, that would be that would start to get really interesting for how Florida would play because that would be an element that you just don't get from Cabarius Hayes whatsoever. And I think that would have been really interesting if, if Isaiah Stokes knocks down a three or two. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see if he uh, gets more minutes on a, on a Florida team that's struggling offensively. But yeah, yeah, right now, I just think uh, Isaiah Stokes, it's, his defense is not very good and his offense is just not quite good enough to, to make up for um, what he's doing defensively. Obviously, I still think he should be playing a regular shift like he is. But uh, he's got a little ways to go. And if Florida starts playing a little bit more zone in conference, I think that he could uh, warrant a little more minutes. I, I would love to see Isaiah Stokes look to, um, look to pass the ball a little bit more out when he does get the ball on the block. Um, I love that he um, has some moves down there. And you, like you said, you know, hit a little baby hook. It was nice. Had another nice little post up. Um, he's not super efficient down there quite yet. But I think that um, he's definitely going to warrant attention. But um, what I would just love from Isaiah Stokes, which we have not gotten in Florida for the last few few seasons, it seems, is just, you know, Isaiah Stokes getting the ball on the block, getting a double, hitting Kayvon Allen right in the shooting pocket, and him drilling a three. We just haven't had a lot of those inside-out jump shots that uh, Michigan State got a ton of and uh, a lot of other teams can, can get because uh, we just don't have that when Kavarius Hayes is, uh, is our offensive five. So. Uh, if, if Stokes can do some of those things, I think he'll warrant, uh, warrant more minutes. But um, right now, I think that Kavarius Hayes' defense is just going to uh, keep him as, as uh, the guy getting a lot of minutes up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, we can roll through another listener question, right? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so someone said, what can Florida do to run sets for Noah Locke? It's obvious he's Florida's best offensive player. Um, there's a lot to that question, but I'll, I'll give you a hack at it. I, what I'll say is Florida did run a lot of sets for Noah Locke. <laughs> yeah. But uh, have at it, Eric. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like you said, you kind of alluded to, there's there's a lot of ways you can do it. You can, you know, simply have a little pin down screen and, and uh, you know, hope hope it challenges the defense to, to make a decision and maybe get some free for a jump shot. Um, it would be really interesting to, if you had uh, someone like Stokes on the floor have him set something like a pin down screen for Noah Locke and see if, uh, see if it kind of forces because of the way he can shoot the ball. If it forces uh, Isaiah Stokes defender to kind of hedge out and then maybe you can get Isaiah Stokes rolling towards the rim, um, slipping that screen, you, things like that um, uh, would be really interesting, especially because 
Uh, I, you know, I love getting shooters um, open shots. That's obviously great. But uh, my favorite thing about shooters is the fact that they can take a lot of gravity and you can get buckets for other people. Um, if you're an NBA fan, go watch JJ Redick play for the uh, play for anyone. But of course, when he's uh, recently been playing for the 76ers, it's not just that he gets so many open threes, but it's Joel Embiid getting so many layups at the rim because when uh, when JJ Redick runs off screens, people have to adjust and, and people have to hedge out and, um, yeah, so I, so I would love to see come sign a kind of some sets like that. Um, I, obviously, yeah, you can uh, start him under the hoop and, and make him run, ha- give him a couple different options, uh, to do things like that. The, the problem with those kind of sets, and I know that Florida fans will, uh, not like this, but if you're going to run a lot of kind of running Noah lock off screens, that also means the ball just kind of has to sit in your point guards hands a lot of the time as you're waiting for the play to develop. And that means if a team blows it up. Um, suddenly you've just had Andrew Nemhard dribbling the ball for six or seven seconds. And I think that that's um, what a lot of people have kind of lost favor in. Um, but other than that, Hey, just keep, keep using Noah Locke as, as a floor spacer. If he's going to pick and roll or pick and pop with Keith stone or one of the front court players that um, he's found a way to get open looks. A t- uh, he's taken a lot of threes, but a lot, they've all been really good looks. So um, he knows how to move off the ball. Yeah. He, he rarely takes a bad shot. He, for a freshman, especially uh, he actually did, I think I sent a tweet about this the uh, at the beginning of the game because I thought Florida's first three possessions against Mercer, the two possessions where they didn't even get a shot off, they ran the best offense. <laughs> <laughs> and then Noah Locke hits a three with uh, with Cummings in his face on the on the second possession, and you're just kind of like, well, I mean, what Cummings did that returned the favor later, you know? Like, what can you do when when guys make those shots? Just sort of, you just shrug your shoulders at it. I wanted to get back to the the Stokes inside out idea though is is you know uh, speaking of Dudley Blackwell like I I saw a uh, Snapchat where he had he had snapped the, the the Stokes shot I guess rewound it and found it amusing and his comment was you know the big fella can make him when the whole bench stands up yeah. <laughs> No, it's true, and anyone who watched him in, in high school knows he can make those shots, so I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if, if the whole bench is up with the, with the three-point sign, that's usually a, that's when you know you have a good shooter. So he can knock those down, and he wasn't immediately taken out of the game uh, for that like, like Dante Bassett was at one point last year when, <laughs> when he let it fly. Now, you know, Dante can shoot out there too, if, assuming that – he uh, is, is going to get cleared to play again here. Oh, I think I think he was cleared too this morning. But actually, I'm I'm kind of blanking on that now. But I think he might have been cleared as well. But I, I do know do know Ballard's cleared. I love it. I love it. So, um, Florida Gulf Coast Orange Bowl Classic tomorrow. Uh, they've won three in a row. Haven't really played anybody in that stretch. They score at a pretty high level. Uh, Zachary Scott, former Westminster Academy player. Um, is one of their best freshmen and um he can he can really do a little bit of everything uh i never thought that he was a great shooter but uh he's one thing he's really good at is is getting the ball um when like if you back them up if you extend your defense which florida's very good at making people extend their half court offense and if you do that with scott He's kind of good at just putting his head down and going at the basket for a little guy. Uh, so that's something that Mercer did with some success. I'd look for, I'd look for Florida Golf Coast to do a little bit of that. You know, I think <laughs> this is a, not a very good defense that Florida Golf Coast and Florida will play. So this is a, a real yet another opportunity for Florida to kind of find an offensive rhythm. Yeah, I like like you said. I, I watched a little bit of film, and it actually reminded me a little bit of Mercer, where they do throw a lot of kind of junk defenses on you. And uh, just try to confuse you. Unfortunately for Florida Gulf Coast, I don't think they're anywhere near as good at it as um, as Mercer was. Um, which you know, hopefully Florida can have a better a better offensive game. Just kind of getting used to it against what I think was a better defense in in Mercer. Um, but yeah, they they're gonna they're gonna send some kind of random doubles. Uh, they kind of uh, uh, well well they're willing to give up kind of the three point shot. Uh, they'll gamble on steals, which I, uh, you know, I understand if you're not super confident on you in your half court defense. Um, I see. Uh, yeah. I was looking at the numbers. They've got this, uh, 
yeah, like a senior, yeah, and Shadrick Casimir, who's uh, 49.1% from three right now, which is, yeah. uh, that's, that's something on a lot of attempts. Um, so yeah, I might want to key that guy. Um, but, and yeah, uh, just kind of going back to Florida really quickly. One thing you said, um, just the way that they extend their defense um, after the Mercer game, um, Florida is now, uh, you know, as per Ken Palm, uh, they, they're, uh, their opponents have the longest possessions um, in college basketball. So Florida's like defense is just slowing the other team down to an amazing rate, which I think is just a great, uh, a great uh, indicator of defense when you the opposing team needs to use a lot of the shot clock to try to get a good look. Um, and just uh, to show that uh, maybe Florida Gulf coast, isn't a great defensive team. Um, they're 46th in, a, in um, uh, their opponent time of possession. So uh, yeah, that kind of just means that, uh, there's teams getting their shots easily against Florida Gulf coast. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and look, um, Gulf coast has, they've got, a, they've got a system that they, that they play. You know, there's a reason they hired Michael fly kind of kept that whole thing in the family. Uh, he hasn't pressed as much, but I think as, as we saw certainly the year that they, they made the, the sweet 16 was kind of like a 40 minutes of hell. <laughs> type defensive approach that had Georgetown all out of sorts. Uh, and, but, but the one thing Michael Fly has done is, is recruited a little higher level than, than, uh, than either Joe Dooley or Andy Enfield, to be honest. I mean, I th- they got a guy, Quentin Jackson, who just committed, uh, who, who they committed that, that Fly recruited, Zach Scott, Kip Cato. So their freshmen have produced a lot. Um, and certainly – in terms of the type of athletes that they have, they're a little bit more athletic a team. Well, one thing that's one thing that I thought was uh, that I totally forgot about. So I was watching um, the, by far the most interesting game on the schedule so far for, uh, for Florida Gulf coast has been that they beat South Dakota state earlier in the year, which is yeah. uh, pretty crazy really. Cause South Dakota state, you know, just lost to Nevada by like three or four. And uh, uh, so obviously, yeah. Uh, so let's go to state's really good. And I wanted to see what they were doing. And like I said, uh, if Mike Dom ever got the ball, they were just sending doubles from anywhere, like one pass away, kind of like where you wouldn't normally want to double from. Um, but anyways, they kind of kept Mike Dom at bay. Um, but anyways, uh, uh, one thing that I thought when I was watching that game and I totally just like forgot about this happening, but I saw him on the bench and I was just like, Oh, I totally forgot that happened. And that's the, uh, that's, they got, uh, got Ricky Doyle, that big man that used to be at Michigan and I know he had some injury kind of problems, but, uh, but yeah, they got Ricky Doyle as a transfer before last season. And uh, yeah, this year he's like hardly plays through them. Like, I think he plays like eight or nine minutes a game. I saw, and I, probably some of that is injuries because he had some injury problems at Michigan, but just the way that you're talking about recruiting, like there was a point where he got some, some good caliber recruits and got Ricky Doyle as a, as a transfer submit for Michigan. And it was kind of like, Hey, this is a, you know, they might have something cooking down there, but um, things haven't quite shaken out quite yet for them. Um, but, um, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to see going forward. Cause that has been, uh, obviously we know they had, uh, they had some, some fun tournament runs, obviously under, uh, um, under a different coaching staff, but, um, uh, yeah, they can obviously win some games there. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, pretty big game for Florida to, to get confidence headed into uh, what I think, uh, has kind of become a must win game against, against the eight and three Butler team. Um, that hasn't been particularly consistent really this year, but also they have Lamar Baldwin, who I think is, I think we both agree is one of the best players in the country. And, uh, you know, Paul Jorgensen and Sean McDermott, they can just light you up. Well, the, the one thing that really sucked about Florida's kind of lost to them last time was if you look at like Butler's, uh, you, you look at how they played this year. It's like if Butler could get the game up into the eighties the or nineties, then it's usually Butler's been winning. And when the game has been kind of slow to uh, uh, slow to a slower game, a lower scoring game, you know, they lost to St. Louis in a, in a St. Louis actually kicked them around pretty good and just kept the game slow and yeah. Dayton beat them in kind of a similar way. So the fact that Florida like made the game really slow and, and a grind um, I think really benefited Florida. So the fact that they couldn't pull it out just kind of sucks. But I, I do think that um, I do think that's one that uh, uh, the Florida kind of, uh, Florida needs to play kind of the same the same tempo of game and just hope that a few more shots uh, fall down because obviously I think Florida did a lot of things right to win obviously defensively um, and the offense or defensively and yeah the offense would just just betrayed them like it has a few times this year 
Um, I, uh, Butler plays UC Irvine. Um, that's their kind of la- – they play them before they play Florida. So I'm really interested to see how they do against UC Irvine because that's a really good team that's, uh, uh, that beat Texas A&M and uh, played Utah State or, – or no, sorry – Oh, no, they did play Utah State. I don't think they played them tough, though. But they played another good team tough. Or they beat St. Mary's. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now I'm looking at Ken Palm. Oh, they actually got crushed by Utah State. But anyways, UC Irvine is uh, – they're a really good team. And I- I'm interested to see how uh, – see what they do against Butler. And um, hopefully Florida can get some momentum uh, offensively going against Florida Gulf Coast. Because, uh, yeah, as we keep talking about, we know Florida's going to defend. So, you know, is it as good as Kamar Baldwin is – the kind of X factor for Butler has been Paul Jorgensen all year um, in the, in the two, you know, I don't know if I'd call the St. Louis loss disappointing because I think St. Louis is pretty good. And we're going to get an idea of that tomorrow because they actually play before Florida at the Orange Bowl Classic. Oh, all right. They play uh, Florida state in the two thirty game. Um, so we'll see if I'm totally wrong, but they appear to be <laughs> pretty good. And like you said, they really kicked, uh, Butler around, but Jorgensen was two for 13 in that game uh, from the field and over four from downtown. Uh, the, the game that Butler lost to uh, Indiana, which was a great game. Um, Jorgensen was two for 10 with five points. So basically when he's been held under single digits, uh, Butler has struggled. They struggled against Presbyterian. They ended up winning because Kamar Baldwin is Kamar Baldwin. <laughs> but uh, and that's all they did in the second half was just ride him. But uh, another game where, where Jorgensen couldn't score one of five, really frustrating performance on the four points. So that's kind of the guy that if you can if you can eliminate him and just make them McDermott and Baldwin defensively, I think you can really win. But the first time around, Florida, you know, was not able to negate Jorgensen. And in fact, uh, his three pointers in the second half were just crushing. Um, and, and he had 16 points despite playing with foul trouble and seven rebounds, which should never happen when you're a six-two scrawny guy from New York. <laughs> yeah, it's something I'm really interested. In. I think I might. Uh, I watched the game. Uh, I watched kind of the a little bit of the game a second time afterwards. I might watch it uh, a third time just because <laughs> I'm really interested. <laughs> but well, yeah, oh, I know we'll see how long it lasts. But one thing I, I thought, um, just kind of off the top of my head was just the, how much Florida was overhelping um, on Kamar Baldwin penetration. Yeah. Um, I mean that on in kind of two fronts. One, Kamar Baldwin, um, I, you know, like he was obviously really good, but I think he was like – he was finishing at the rim pretty well. But at the same time, they had like Joey Brunk playing down low and also um, their other big man, uh, Fowler. So uh, I think just a lot of the times I was watching and Kamar Baldwin to get drilled penetration – which um, unfortunately he is going to do again because he's probably going to get guarded by Andrew Nemhart, um, <laughs> which I'm actually going to talk about in a second. But uh, the the fact is, I thought Kavarius Hayes was in position to help a lot of the time, but there was just too many other guys off of the ball, like guys that were guarding, like a Sean McDermott who's a good shooter, or or a, or a Jorgensen. Um, and there was just it just kind of got they just had to overhelp too much, I think, on um, on Kamar Baldwin penetration. Um, my other take is I would like to see, um, I would like to see Kayvon Allen guard um, Kamar Baldwin a little bit more and then get Andrew Nemhart off the ball guarding George Jorgensen or McDermott and get just like, because if Andrew Nemhart just has to um, guard a spot up shooter, that's obviously a little bit better than him having to guard on the ball. So that would be my kind of um, changes. Like, yeah, I'd love to see Kayvon Allen guarding Kamar Baldwin. And the other thing too about Andrew Nemhart is he's got a lot of steals as, uh, playing the passing lanes away from the ball. He's been a really good, um, really good at getting steals away from the basketball. And I think that if you can get him doing that, guarding off the ball, being a help side defender, as opposed to the primary defender, I think Florida is going to, going to look pretty good. Um, but I mean, I do say this as uh, uh, you know, Florida had a few breakdowns on Kamar Baldwin penetration, but you know, Butler scored 61 points. They didn't uh, uh, generally speaking, obviously Florida played good defensive basketball, but uh, that'd be one adjustment I'd like to see. Yeah, no, and then Florida did play good defensive basketball, and, and you know, that's kind of what made the, the 16 from Jorgensen so uh, eye-opening. They only scored 61 points. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're talking about, you know, they got 19 from Baldwin and 16 from Jorgensen. That's 35 over 61. Florida did a great job on Sean McDermott, in particularly uh, Keith Stone, who, who had a nice size matchup, and, and I think – was able to deal with McDermott's kind of guile uh, because I wouldn't say, I think Stone is quicker 
at least the way that he moves his feet defensively. Um, I don't know what happens to his quickness on the offensive side. Um, <laughs> but, right. But you know what I'm saying. Like, he, he's, he's very good with his feet defensively and, and kind of was able to fight through screens and, and the types of things that, that Butler likes to do to get uh, Sean McDermott going. So I think, you know, obviously Florida wants to make sure that that, that guy doesn't get loose. Um, in, in the in the second game, and then the last thing I'd say is is, you know, it's December 29th. The students, uh, the Balkan students won't be back, so it's kind of on the arena. I mean, it, it's a tough ask because it's a 4 p.m. game. It's right after the Peach Bowl. Um, you know, I Butler always travels well to these sorts of things. Uh, yeah, it's up to Florida's fans to to fill the arena and and produce the type of environment that they had for Michigan State. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting. Obviously, kind of, uh, it, uh, it might have a little bit more of a neutral site feel than you'd like to see as a, as a Florida fan, but just because, <laughs> uh, obviously, they played last time on a neutral site. And um, I was just, you know, again, watching that game and yeah, just see, seeing the uh, the atmosphere there. I'm curious how similar it's going to be on the, uh, uh, you know, the, the holiday one. Um yeah, just kind of the the one thing I'm looking at. I'm just looking now at the box score again of the of the last game against Butler, and uh, just to see, uh, it was crazy just to see like it. It doesn't look like um, like it. I was just kind of saying like who who even took the shots for Florida because there wasn't anyone who had who had over ten shots, and uh, it looks like uh, uh, yeah, like Noah Locke was. Noah Locke was two for six. He didn't take too many. Uh, like Keith Stone was was two for nine. I think we might be able to see a better performance from him as shooting the ball at home. Um, yeah. Yeah, like Andrew Nemhart. Uh, uh, the only thing that really worked for Florida offensively was Andrew Nemhart was three for four from the three-point line, and, and DeAndre Ballard was three for six. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting just to see how uh, how just quiet everyone's stat line looks like. It wasn't like anyone was – other than other than Keith Stone, so two for nine, it just didn't seem like anyone was like – super particularly bad the, they didn't turn the ball over that much um yeah it was just a just a weird game that very much just had the feel of a of a weird <laughs> neutral site game take that was taking place at a hotel ballroom so um <laughs> i just uh I, I i am expecting a better offensive performance but um i know some people are going to chuckle at that just uh based on how we just played at home against mercer yeah and the third the third game in you know, less than 72 hours too. Right. So yes. It's so, it's so weird to kind of, you know, evaluate. How do you evaluate that? Uh, <laughs> what I know is that the committee will evaluate it as almost a double game for Florida. Like if you think if Florida wins, the committee says, okay, uh, they lost to Butler on a neutral floor in the third game in three days. But when they played, Second time, you know, if Florida wins handily, then it's almost a way to eliminate two losses. Now, if it's narrow, um, you know, maybe not. But I think that's this is that's just why this this game is so vital for for Florida from a committee standpoint. Well, and like you said earlier in the podcast, you know, we're you know we're not about uh, we're not about making kind of hyperbolic statements, but uh, I just you see the way that um, the SEC hasn't been as good as as a lot of us would have thought. I certainly thought the SEC was going to be a lot better. And I honestly was, I thought the SEC was going to be so good that um, Florida could have an, uh, a non-conference this bad and still just have so many opportunities for awesome wins in the SEC that um, they'll be in good shape. And the SEC hasn't been that great. And uh, obviously there's still going to be lots of opportunities for big wins, but um, at the same time, uh, I, I suddenly just have more of a heightened importance on this Butler game and the TCU game than I probably would have at the, uh, before the start of the season. And um, yeah, I don't think, you know, it's, it's about as, it's about as close to a must win, I think, as, uh, as you could have at this point of the season, at least, obviously I say that kind of like half jokingly, because Hey, if Florida decides to get hot and uh, beat Tennessee and Kentucky a couple times and all that, um, it wouldn't matter if they lost this Butler game. But if you kind of assume that Florida is going to be a, a 500-ish, maybe a little bit above 500-ish SEC team, um, and if they want to make the tournament, well, then yes, this is a must-win. Yep. Well, there it is. Uh, anything, anything in particular that you know you'll be watching for tomorrow that we haven't that we haven't brought up before we go? No, I think uh, I think to me, watching Florida basketball right now is just all about. Uh, 
uh, looking away from the basketball when Andrew Nemhart has it to see what we're doing offensively. And I think there's uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a, you're probably a hoops junkie. And I think that the, uh, that's going to be the most interesting thing to watch for from kind of a schematic standpoint is how is Florida moving away from the basketball to try to generate offense? Um, we know that they're going to be awesome defensively. Um, I, I'm kind of sold there, um, but uh, we're still just kind of seeing them seek an identity offensively. And uh, that's what I'll be watching for. Terrific. Well, uh, thanks again for, for joining us, Eric, and from, uh, from me and from Eric and uh, from everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to, to all our listeners. We will be back uh, after the Butler game. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think we've talked about it now enough to, to safely say that we'll return uh, after the Butler game, before the conference opener. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. So long. Bye now. So, as promised, uh, a quick recap of the Orange Bowl Classic, which Florida won 77-56 over Florida Gulf Coast. I'm going to kind of do just a, a, a three thoughts um, on the win. One, um, Florida's ball movement was way better. Uh, and, you know, Mike White said after the game that that was something that they emphasized. After watching the film, they felt like they weren't really moving the ball as well as they could, particularly um, some inside-out passing. That led to um, Florida going 11 for 30 from from beyond the arc, and and really at one point being 11 for 24. Uh, Jalen Hudson hit a couple of, of threes that he stepped into his shot um, after nice passes. So sort of catch and release stuff for him is is uh, is good, and he also hit uh, two threes where you know he was off the bounce, which was what we got kind of accustomed to last year. Um, so I think ball movement and and first thought would be ball movement was better. Let's hope that continues. It's not just about opponent. And two, um, obviously the the emergence of reemergence of Jalen Hudson yesterday. Certainly, at least it's one game, uh, but it's something to build on. I also kind of like the way he attacked the basket too. He only had the one basket on a great putback offensive rebound, but he had another couple baskets that. Uh, almost went in one kind of fell off the the top of the iron at the end of the first half and then another drive um so you know Jalen's a volume shooter when he's feeling it and so I'm not as worried about the five for 11 you know 45 percent ends up being what Florida shot uh but I think Florida moved the ball better and and got some good stuff out of Jalen Hudson um number two this is another good and bad this this is more of a good and bad uh good was that they rested some starters in terms of minutes, you know, Andrew Nimhart plays a season low 21 minutes. Um, there were some other guys that they got a much deserved breather in terms of the volume of basketball that, that they were asked to play. Uh, Kayvon Allen played 29 minutes, which this season that's a lot of minutes, but for him this season, that's not. Keystone started, got 20 minutes. Noah Locke, an incredibly productive 21 minutes, five and nine from three point range. So the starters. Got some rest. Bench guys we got to see a lot of. I thought Isaiah Stokes, even though he was one for five from the field, was a guy that that really benefited from those minutes. He has nice moves inside. He, he hasn't finished at the rim very well this year. Um, and, but, but you know, the moves are there. It's just a matter of repetition with him, I think. Um, the bad. We kind of saw what happens when Andrew Nimhard gets in foul trouble. I mean, he picks up a second foul. Florida's up 23-8. When he re-enters the game, it's 26-22. So he's been that important to Florida this year that that uh, their their freshman point guard, who who of course doesn't really play like a freshman at all, but is certainly a guy who's so important and valuable to the Gators um, that that you know we saw some of the Florida Gulf Coast that somehow beat South Dakota State when Andrew Nimhard wasn't on the floor. So that was a big deal, um, and, and getting Nimhard back on the floor stabilized the game in the first half. Uh, third, you know, the, the Gators defensively, I didn't think were terrific in, in the first half. They were much better in the second half. Their, their turnovers ratcheted up. Um, they they forced 22 turnovers. That was the most Florida Gulf Coast had turned the ball over all year. Uh, Florida limited Gulf Coast in terms of their effectiveness from downtown uh, pretty immensely. This was a team that shot 38% coming in. They go 2 of 14 from downtown against the Gators. So 
all of that was good. And, and the key to Florida's defense continues to be uh, Kavarius Hayes, who I thought played one of his best games of this season yesterday with 12 points. He had seven rebounds. Um, and, and you know, he had a bunch of blocked shots. Uh, what was it? Yeah, three blocked shots. So, you know, Kavarius, as a, as a rim deterrent, continues to play well. Kavarius is aggressive and attacks the, the glass. And, and Florida needs him because um, for as much promise as we saw from, from Stokes and Dante Bassett had one nice segment where he had a, a really nice offensive rebound and then Hudson missed the three right after, um, but had a really good look because of the offensive rebound and quick pass by Bassett. Um, you know, Florida's still struggling on the glass. I think I think maybe starting Keontae Johnson, who I think Florida is Florida's best finisher at the rim right now. Um, statistically, he is by just a couple percentage points over Kavarius Hayes. And obviously, he doesn't have the catch problems that Hayes has with his hands. Um, and he's a good rebounder. You know, Florida has to find solutions and, and find ways to manufacture rebounds. But I think it's, a lot of it's want to. Uh, you know, they got – if there was one real problem yesterday that I saw, uh, it was it was how they were out-rebounded um, by Florida Golf Coast, which really shouldn't happen, 34-32. Some of that is Golf Coast missed more shots and, and pulled down several offensive rebounds as well. But the Gators just need to do a better job of, of boxing out. I mean, Florida Golf Coast made eight points – right off offensive rebound putbacks that's the kind of stuff that in conference play just kills you because the margins are going to be so small and it's something that could really hurt Florida as they move into the Butler game but all in all um, I kind of agreed with Mike White's assessment not a not a horrible performance some very good things um, and certainly in the second half a very good performance uh, the first half not great um, but I think Florida's focus was there offensively for 40 minutes and not defensively for 40 minutes. So uh, we'll look to see if, if Florida can put together a complete game um, you know, against Butler on the 29th. They really need to. By my count, you know, the Gators have played pretty much one complete game all year, and that was uh, the Stanford game in the Bahamas. So hopefully uh, Florida responds plays well December 29th and we thank all of you for tuning in a very Merry Christmas to uh, to all our listeners happy holidays um, and thank you so much for making the first few months of Florida basketball hour uh, meaningful to us by uh, listening downloading on uh, our show subscribing on iTunes and giving us a rating um, thanks again bye bye